Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And also, you can do me a, a favor during um, the sermon sometimes. Go, go to Facebook and check in with the church at Indian Lake. You can just do that right now. That helps spread the word about our church. So go ahead and check in and don't, don't stay too long checking out what everybody else is doing. But that would be really cool. Talking today about Holy Spirit-inspired faith. I get a chance to work with just a great collection of leaders, but they're all a little bit different. And I want to categorize the leaders I work with in in kind of two categories. I've got this group of people, of men and women who are just highly enthusiastic, highly passionate. My wife, Beth, who led worship today here in the front row, she's one of those. She's, She's just full of energy and Pastor Matt, our youth pastor, he kind of bounces into the office like Tigger, you know, ready to take on the day. Then our administrative assistant, Carrie Crow, she's in here today. She is so enthusiastic. I mean, she just is always positive, always energetic. It kind of goes something like this. She'll say, hey, guys, guess what? We have white chocolate silk coffee creamer, all right. And Beth gets excited, Matt, and there's a lot of enthusiasm because it's a new flavor of coffee creamer. Life is good. And I love that kind of passion. It just makes the office more joyful and things are optimistic and fun and so forth. Now, some of our other staff, like, you know, Chip Johnson's pretty focused guy, pretty serious guy. Um, um, Jennifer Cordray, she's very focused when she comes. Deanna Powell, who leads a school with like 120 kids that meets here on Tuesday and Thursday, and she has 20 or 30 employees. She's no games. I mean, she is just like focused. Like, I don't have time to joke. I don't have time to be frivolous. I've got a job to do, okay? I'm focused in. She does a great, great work. And then Pastor Deborah, who you met just a second ago, she's really, she's just really focused and serious. In fact, sometimes I have conversations with her that go something like this. Well, how, how was your weekend? And with no emotion, she says, oh, good. I uh, flew to Canada, won a fly fishing contest, and caught the early plane back before office started today. <laughs> no big deal. That's just how I roll. So, you know, we have two different categories. Now, the truth is we need both types of dispositions, do we not? And, we, and, and really, the truth is we all contain both of those. I'm, I'm generalizing to make a point. And my point, a greater point is this, is when we talk about faith, it's easy to mistake faith with simple optimism. As if faith is just having a good attitude. Now, optimism and a good attitude may be a byproduct of faith, but we wrongly believe that the type of faith that moves mountains and does great things for God, sometimes we think, well, that's just for certain types of personalities. That is not what I'm trying to communicate today. What I want to communicate with you about is Holy Spirit-inspired faith. This is not just optimism. This is not just being positive. Holy Spirit-inspired faith is when the power of the Holy Spirit is moving within you, upon you, and you're able to see God possibilities when everyone else has given up. Holy Spirit-inspired faith means you come to a dead end where there's no other option, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you see a miraculous pathway through the power of God. This has nothing to do, or little to do, at least, with disposition or personality. It 
is about the power of the Holy Spirit moving within you. And when Paul began to instruct us about what happens when the Holy Spirit's power comes upon upon us, uh, he gave a list of some different things that occur. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll look at some of these. It says, a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. So I, I want you to, first of all, remember this, is that the power of the Holy Spirit moving with you, gifting you, causing a gift to come through you, is not for you. It's for the body. It's for the community. It's for the 242 group. It's for the women's Bible study. We, we sometimes feel good when the power of the Holy Spirit moves on us. And so we're like, I want to feel that again. I want to use my ministry because it's self-fulfilling. And while there is fulfillment with being in the middle of God's will, the purpose of the power of God is not for personal fulfillment. The purpose of the power of God is for mutual benefit for the whole body. So you're gifted to benefit others and you're gifted in different ways. And so the scripture goes on to say, one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit to another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit. And this is the type of faith we're going to talk about today. Faith from the Holy Spirit going on just to make the passage complete to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, the performing of miracles to the to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another interpretation of languages. Looking at the previous scripture, we'll again hone in on this. Faith by the same spirit. Holy Spirit giving us faith. And other passages we're going to look at now and dig into later. Zechariah chapter 4, starting with verse 6, says this way. So he answered me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, everyone here knows exactly who Zerubbabel is, right? I can tell, right? Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah after the Babylonian exile. So he was a guy who was in charge of the Jews when they returned to their desolated homeland. And he had the job by God of rebuilding the temple without a national identity, without an army, without resources, without any of the natural things that you would need to rebuild this beautiful temple. He did not have any of those things. This is what God said to him. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by strength or by might. Not by your army, he was saying. Not by the amount of treasure that you have. Not by national identity, because that was low. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain. And he will bring out the capstone, accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. What is the capstone? The capstone is what you bring out when the job's done saying, Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit is going to cap this thing off. He's going to rebuild the temple. God's going to use them. And we're going to say, grace, grace, grace. Mark eleven twenty two through 25 says it this way. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. 
Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. I want to talk to you about faith today. I've already talked to you 10 minutes about faith, but Whenever I preach, I start thinking of all my disclaimers and all of the holes in my messages. And so just, I'm not going to do that today because I have a bunch of sermons on this. The last time I preached here, I I preached a message called the already not yet kingdom of God. So you can go back and you can listen to that, which gives a balanced view of faith. And then last summer, I did a series called Process and Experience. And each week we said this statement, we are people of process expecting God experiences. And and I'm reminding you of this because when I begin to encourage you to speak out and and to live in faith and to live and believe God for the impossible, that doesn't mean that's a license to live from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. You need a process. You need a system. You need a disciplined life. You need to apply the teachings on relationship and on community life to your life and and allow God to work through those processes. We're not just going to be people who are going from miracle to miracle, crisis to crisis, and always have to have faith because we're not taking care of business. That's not the will of God. All right, so that's my disclaimer. So go back and listen to the sermons and you'll get all that. So now let's just preach on faith because now faith says when you're at the end of the rope, when you're stuck in the pit, when you're at the dead end, when you've reached a place where you just don't see any pathway and at the end of your strength and at the end of your ability and at the end of your, your capacity to solve the problem and you have nothing else, you have God at that point. And that's where I want to point you to, this faith that comes from God. Yesterday, we had our back-to-school blessing and thanks to your generosity, we were able to give out 260 backpacks to elementary, junior high, and high school students. Can we thank God for that? And every single, every single backpack had a financial sponsor, and any excess will go either to our Thanksgiving blessing or to our benevolence fund. So it won't just go back to the general pot. It'll go towards helping people in need. So thank you for being generous. Thank you for letting God use you. And we had plenty of help yesterday, and the the back-to-school blessing is not necessarily a labor-intensive as much as as it is a love-intensive activity. So, you know, we could probably pull it off with probably 8 to 10 people, but we usually have 30 to 50 people come, and everyone, it's a good experience. So, not everybody was there yesterday, and let's just face it, how many of you who have gone in the past or who wanted to go, just forgot the back-to-school blessing was yesterday. Come on, let's be honest. So there's some people, all right, I knew there were several people. That there was a lot of hands up in the first service because they're honest. This is a little more image-conscious <laughs> service. So it just the fact that it just hit in July, just some people forgot. And so we, we knew everything was covered, but there was a few minutes before, it just didn't feel as many as there typically is. So I'm talking to Charles Watson, who's leading our prayer team, and I'm just trying to make sure the bases are covered, and, and they were. He did a great job leading that. And he starts listing people who said they were going to come. And one of those people he listed was Lisa Campbell. So, well, Lisa Campbell said she's going to be here. So I instinctively said, well, Lisa will be here. I knew Lisa would be there. I'd seen Lisa the night before, 
that she had helped us pack, and she's recovering from an knee injury. And so I said, Lisa, come on, let's not push it too much. And she said, no, I'm fine. I said, are you going to be there tomorrow? She said, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. This is our ninth year to do it. And to my remembrance, Lisa has been at every one of the back-to-school blessings. And she's an integral part of just the personality of that outreach. So I know Lisa's heart for this ministry And I know that she is one of the most dependable people in our church. And I know that she wanted to be there. And so I was able to say with confidence, before I saw Lisa, I said, Lisa is going to be here. Lisa's going to be here. I was able to say that because of Lisa's character. Because of who she is. This is an example of why we have faith in God. Our faith in God is not about us. It's about him. It's about his character. You know, I could have said there, confessed the whole time, Lisa will be here. Lisa will be here. In the name of Jesus, Lisa will be there. I declare Lisa will be here. I declare Lisa's going to be here as if I was in control. But it wasn't that I was in control. It was I was was speaking to her character and who she is. Now, she's not God, and so her car could have broke down or something like that. You understand there's a breakdown in every analogy about God. But you get where I'm going, and this is the first point that I want to make, is that Holy Spirit-inspired faith faith believes God before the natural proof. It's believing God beforehand. See, we all can believe in the power of God when the breakthrough comes. We all can believe in the power of God when revival hits. We all can believe in the power of God when healing manifests. That doesn't necessarily take faith. That's just praise. We just praise God for what he's done. But faith is believing God before we see the evidence. It's believing God supernaturally before we have natural proof. And this is the type of faith that we cannot conjure up through our personality or through our will. It's a type of faith we receive as a gift from him. It's a type of faith that comes when the power of the Holy Spirit is manifest in our life. Mark eleven twenty four, looking at that once again says, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. When we pray, we have to pray in faith, believing that the things we're asking God for, even though our natural eyes cannot see it right now, that because of his character, not because of our discipline, not because of how great we are, but because of who he's revealed himself to be in the past, what he's proven to us through his word and through fleshing it out in our life, that that, that God's going to come through again. If he's come through before, he will come through again. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way. Now faith is confidence, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Again, faith is not talking about praising God for what you see. It's believing God for what you have not seen yet. And so that's why we have faith that our children are going to come back to the Lord. We have faith that our friends are going to be saved to have turned their hearts from God. We have faith that God has a plan for our nation. We have faith that God has a plan to to revive his church and to let the church in America rise again. We have faith that the people who are irritating us because they're, they're 
making decisions that get on our nerves that they're just one prayer away from conversion. They're just one ask to God away from complete forgiveness. And so instead of living in this constant sense of irritation because sinners are sinning, how many know that's what sinners do? That's what I did as a sinner. Sinners sin. I don't know why we get so irritated that sinners sin. What we need to do is have faith that that person who is sinning, just like us, that there is great hope for them because Jesus has a plan, because salvation is for everyone. They're just a decision away, a revelation away, a prayer away of being brought from darkness into light. This is the type of faith God wants us to have. Statistically, we don't like to talk about this, but the role of the church in America has diminished statistically since 1990. The church in America is having less and less impact on our culture. This is what we see in the natural. It's discouraging. It's a little disheartening, especially when most of us have given our life to the local church. But that is what we see in the natural. In the supernatural, we see that God has a plan and God has a promise. And he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. By faith, I believe there's a healing coming to our land. By faith, I believe there's a revival coming to the church. By faith, I believe that our best days aren't behind us. By faith, I believe that there's a breakthrough ahead of us. There's a renewal ahead of us. There's salvation ahead of us. That the church is going to wake up. That Christians who are lukewarm are going to receive the fire of God again. And we're going to see our nation saved. Not through the political parties, not through our education, not through a better economy, not through any type of social decision. We're going to see our nation redeemed again when the word of the Lord is hot in the church again and the church rises again. That's what I believe by faith. I believe that. My natural mind doesn't believe it, but I believe it by faith. Did you start that clap? Does it count if your own son starts a clap? Does that really count? He's 12 years old, and you know what? I'll take it, you know? So that's, that's not a bad thing, is it? I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and then for 18 years I lived there. I moved to Kansas City for college. And I remember a couple of months into being at college, I was talking to a friend on the phone, and they said, Aaron, you sound different. You, you've lost your southern drawl. I think I've gained it back now. And then I've been back in Tennessee the last 20 years. But for that time, when I was there in the Midwest and I was around people who didn't have a Southern draw, and that's not good or bad, it's neutral to me, but uh, it changed the way that I talked. We, we had neighbors move in about 10 years ago from Australia. And they go to this church. I haven't seen them yet this morning, the Shoals. And 10 years ago, I think that uh, Jasmine, the youngest one, was about four years old. She had the cutest little Australian accent, and her older sister still has one, but she doesn't have much of one anymore, I wouldn't say. I mean, she, she speaks really nicely and so forth, but um, just growing up in our education system, it, it just has changed. It's changed. Mom still, Julie still talks with that accent, and it's just changed because, especially as children, when we're around, when we're around a certain atmosphere, it changes what we speak about. While this doesn't always apply to dialect it, 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 or, or accents, it does apply maybe to our choice of words. Sometimes we can tell that 
someone, our child has been hanging around a certain type of friend because of phrases they use. And sometimes even with us as adults that we pick up phrases and terminology from the people we spend time with. So this is a proven fact that our language is affected by who we spend time with. What's my point? When you hang out with God, it affects the way you talk. And now I can sit here, I could preach a whole series on this. But all through the scripture, Jesus and supporting scripture says this, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we hang out with God, it just changes our language. If your language starts getting kind of sloppy, perverted, I, I, I would just challenge you to see where you are with the Lord. That could be an indicator, not the only indicator, but it could be an indicator of, 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 of where, you, where you are connected with the Lord where your heart is. Because all through scripture, our language is affected. Our language is affected when we're close to God. That's part of the reasons we're able to prophesy and pray in the spirit and praise God freely, praise God boldly, declare his word with boldness because there's a connection with the power of God and with our language and who we are. So this is what happens when we have Holy Spirit-inspired faith. Number two, it produces faith-filled words. These are words that come from our spirit, not just words that we pick up. Sometimes in church, we pick up certain phrases and just repeat them. This is words that come from our spirit that are filled with faith because these words reflect the fact that we've been spending time with God. There's a freshness about them. You know, sometimes I've been not really close to God and I've used some of the phrases that sound good and religious, but there's no power behind them. But, but when, when I'm close to the Lord, he, the words I use, there's power behind them because it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit reflecting his power within me. It's the Holy Spirit moving through me. Mark 11, again, looking at the scripture some more. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone, look at this phrase, says to this mountain. See that connection between what we say and who God is? Again, I'm, very, I'm being very careful. I do not want to um, teach the humanistic version of Christianity that says we, what we say produces things, I, I believe that's, that, that, the, that, that the root of that is humanism. I'm saying that when what we say represents the heart of God and we're speaking and reflecting the power of God and we're speaking his words, that it's an indication that there's a nearness to God. It's like he's rubbing off on us. He's influencing us. He's influencing our hearts. And so it is that when we begin to say the things that reflect God's heart, we're able to speak to mountains and we tell those mountains to move. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this, now this is the confidence we have before him. How many know we need confidence in prayer? Confidence, and I don't want to pray the wrong thing, right? I don't want to pray outside of God's will. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So it's not just us having the power to pray whatever we want to. We pray according to God's will. How do you know God's will? Is you get to know God. As I get to know Jesus, I begin to pray according to his name, his power, and his will. For the last three years, or we're going into our third year, we are, we are sending a team to Appalachia for a mission trip. And this is in eastern Kentucky, almost to the West Virginia border, one of the most beautiful areas in the world. It really is. I know this because my wife, Beth, 
grew up there. So we go there two or three times a year. Beautiful, beautiful land, beautiful people. But one thing about this area, it is the poorest region economically in our country. Now, why is this? There's a lot of reasons, right? We could have a symposium and discuss this, and there's been all types of government money thrown to that area, and there's all types of analysis of that. But let me just give you a real simple reason. Mountains. It's hard to build anything because there's mountains everywhere. Um, construction people like flatland. Construction, they don't like mountains. Contractors don't like mountains and rivers. We love those for vacation. Those are great. But to build things, it gets in the way of progress. So I grew up in Dallas, and every time I'm in Dallas, I'm shocked at how much Dallas is growing. You think Hendersonville's growing? It's just mind-boggling how North Dallas is growing. It's going to blend into Oklahoma soon. Well, well why is that? Sure isn't because of the weather, because it's hot down there. It's because ranch land is flat. And there's not any rivers. So just boom, boom, boom. More cities, more houses. Phoenix, Phoenix out there in the desert. Just boom, boom, boom. Phoenix is growing, one of the fastest growing areas of our, of our nation. You might argue, what about Denver? Have you ever been to Denver? It's near the mountains, but Denver is, is on a plain itself. The, mountain, the Rocky Mountains start west of Denver, but Denver's flat. I couldn't believe it when I went there. The area, the, the western part of Colorado is, excuse me, the eastern part of Colorado is flat. What point am I trying to make? You're like, wow, this feels like geography class. How boring. Metaphorically, mountains, well, realistically, in construction, mountains get in the way. And there's no doubt Jesus is talking metaphorically here about mountains. Because if we actually, like, spoke to a mountain and a mountain physically got up and was chunked into the sea, how many of that would be an ecological disaster? Right? I mean, that just, I don't think that's God's heart. That would just mess up everything. Tidal waves, mess up people's homes. I mean, it would just, just be a mess. So here, Jesus is speaking metaphorically, and he's saying, things that get in the way of the work of God, things that impede God's will, things that stand in the way, those are mountains. And when we have the heart of God and the will of God and the purposes of God and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and breathes faith upon us, we say to things that are in God's way and the work of God's way, we say to those mountains, move. Go to the place of uncertainty, which is the sea. The sea in ancient times is a place where things got lost. And it still happens today, unfortunately, but people got lost at sea. Stuff got lost at sea. You throw things at sea, it disappears forever. That's where these obstacles are going. They're going into the sea. They're going to the place where they're forgotten. They're going to the place where they're no longer going to stop the progress of God. Here's number three. Number three is this, is Holy Spirit-inspired faith moves spiritual obstacles. Moves spiritual obstacles. We've already talked about the Mark 11 scriptures several times about mountains moving. This is talking about faith that changes circumstances so the purposes of God can come to pass, so the will of God can come to pass. And that's why James chapter 5, verse 15 says this, the prayer of faith, this is mountain-moving faith. The, the prayer that says, hey, mountain, get out of the way of God's will. Go to the sea. Go to the place of uncertainty. I mean, go to the place where things get lost. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. If you 
read the Gospels, you'll see that the purpose of healing in the Gospels was to point people to Jesus, the one who heals our soul. Jesus healed physically, not as an end, but a means to the end. The end was salvation. The end was understanding he's the Messiah. So every time God touches an ailment, a sickness within you, the purpose of that is to create kingdom work for you. The purpose of that is to make Jesus bigger to you. To you. The purpose of that is for uh, salvation to come, not just to your home, but to someone else too. Jesus has purpose in healing. His purpose is to cause those mountains to move. Mountains that get in the way. So remember Zerubbabel. Remember him? Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. I know that y'all love the name Zerubbabel, that we have babies all in the nursery named that today. So he answered me this. He answered to me this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. How many are familiar with that scripture? Right? That's, I, I, a lot of us have heard that. That fits really nice in a, on a plaque. You know, it does. It's just not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. So sometimes we stop at verse 6. Because just that we, we got it, right? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And I thank God for that scripture. But let's go on. Look at verse 7 and beyond says, What are you, great mountain? What are you, great mountain? What are you, mount, this obstacle? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. That which is an obstacle, that which is impeding progress, that which is preventing the will of God to happen, that, that which is preventing the pathway for the Lord, that's the mountain before you, before Zerubbabel, because of the call of God and the purposes of God, it's going to become a plain. And he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. You see, when the, the prophets were declaring Jesus, they would use this language of leveling this idea that when God comes, he's going to level stuff out. I mean, the, the, everything's going to be level. It's not going to be mountains that are going to stop progress. The path is going to be clear. It's going to be a level path. It's like we're going to just zoom away to the heart of God when the Messiah comes. And in the book of Micah, yes, there is a book called Micah. And yes, it is in your Bible. And it would take you two or three minutes to find. So thank God for the screen. In Micah chapter 1, verse 3, this is what the prophet said. Look, the Lord is leaving his place and coming down to trample the heights of the earth, the mountains will melt beneath him. Isn't that beautiful? The valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. These unmovable obstacles, these mountains that don't seem, they seem to be impeding the will of God and the purposes of God. When Jesus gets in, when the Messiah comes, when the heart of God comes, they melt like wax by the fire. Your biggest obstacle is not too big for your God. Your biggest impediment, impediment, is that right? Well, your biggest obstacle, the thing getting in your way with God. Yeah, I, had to, I had to have one of those before the sermon was over. With God, those things are getting flattened out. Those things are changing. Habakkuk chapter three, verse six, again, uses this leveling language. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. Let's go back to Zechariah 4, 7 one more time. What are you, great mountain? Let me ask you that question today. What are you, great mountain? What's the mountain in front of you? 
What is the thing that's stopping the work of God? What is the thing that's causing the full revelation of Jesus from just taking off in your life? I want you to think about your name there. Before Zerubbabel, this mountain will become a plain. Before Becky, that mountain will become a plain. Before Michael, your, Michael your, your mountain will become a plain. Before Haley, your mountain will become a plain. What are you, great mountain? What is the mountain that's standing between you and the work of the Lord? In the attitude of prayer, I want you to stand with me because we are going to tap into the heart of God and mountains that are keeping the progress of the Lord from coming. We're gonna believe by faith today that as we begin to tap into the heart tap into the purposes of God. Mountains of sickness, mountains of pain, mountain of addiction, mountain of debt, mountain of confusion, mountain of anxiety, mountain of uncertainty, mountains be gone in the name of Jesus. Not by might, not by power, not by uh, uh, my personality or my revelation or my sermon, but by the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit breathing on us, the Holy Spirit filling us, the Holy Spirit empowering us. We have faith to believe that mountain that we thought would always be in front of us, that we can never pass, that would always be hindering the work of God. Through the Holy Spirit, we believe that mountain is going to melt like wax by a fire. How many know that that type of faith doesn't come from us? It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from who he is. So we ask, what are you, Great Mountain? What are you, cancer? What are you, unemployment? What are you, depression? What are you that is getting in the way of the work of God? In the name of Jesus, Jesus said, be gone, mountain, go to that sea, go to that place where things are lost. And instead, the Lord is going to make a clear pathway before us because great is his name. Now, someone besides my 12-year-old son, can you say amen and thank the Lord for that? Can we just thank the Lord for that?